Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, super excited to be back with you all, and also excited about the guests on this show. Um, today, I have Kathy Gallo and Leanne Susie, who also go by the name Two Pushy Dames, which <laughs> I loved. Before I even heard you or read you or saw anything, I knew that this was going to be a, a good thing that I was going to be interested <laughs> in. So thank you both for being here. Will you each take a minute to tell folks why they should listen to you today? <laughs> yeah, sure, Heather. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, so we came up with the name, the two pushy dames, because first of all, we're pushy. We are pushy, um, but we, you're we, more pushy than I am, Leanne. Yeah, I know that's true. But um, <laughs> we, we basically, we started doing the hashtag push back on the push down when we were like posting things on, um, you know, social media, et cetera. And we started thinking, you know, yeah, we're pushy, you know, we're pushy dames. We want to push back on that push down. Um, so we came up with the name, the two pushy dames. Um, we have worked together for over 30 years now. Um, whenever Kathy goes to a new job, I basically follow her. Um, but we teach um, at um, North Shore Community College and we also teach at Salem State University. Um, but we work together on our day jobs um, we work together. Kathy's my boss and she likes to let everyone know that. Nice. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but we also dress alike. As you can see, our t-shirts say um, these dames have loose parts because <laughs> we love loose parts, including our own. As we've gotten up there in age, we have lots of loose it's, parts. It's a pandemic diet. I think yeah. it hit both of us. Yeah. So yeah, we, we have bodies for podcast and radio. So that's great. <laughs> Only Heather can see us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm Kathy Gallo, and um, Leanne did a great job there. Just so you know, we're from Massachusetts. I know huh. that people listen from all over. Uh, people say we have accents, but we yeah. don't notice them. Bit, um, <laughs> and, and we do, um, you know, our day jobs, but the pushy dames work is just when we can really kind of say what we think, and we don't have to think about everything thoughtfully. Um, a worry about, you know, offending somebody who funded us for something. And, and with the pushy dames, we can just say, this is not good for kids, or this yeah. is what's best for kids. And it's freeing as you get to be a little bit older. It's awesome to be able to just freaking say what you want to say. Exactly. So, That's kind of what I do with the podcast. That's kind of why I keep doing the podcast because exactly. it gives exactly. me that outlet. Um, okay, so um, we're going to talk about the academic pushdown. We're going to start with a quote that you guys sent me. Um, that's Nancy Carlson Page from her book, Taking Back Childhood, which if you haven't read it, you really, really should. It's amazing. I have um, the Kindle copy and the library copy, you know, the bookshelf copy. And so I have it with me wherever I am. Um, but here's our quote that we're starting with. 
the most important competencies in young children can't be tested. Naming letters and numbers is superficial and almost irrelevant in relation to the capacities we want to help children develop. Self-regulation, problem-solving ability, social and emotional competence, imagination, initiative, curiosity, original thinking, these capacities make or break success in school and life and they can't be reduced to numbers. Yes. Amen. There we go. <laughs> yeah, we're done. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I'm so glad you sent me this, um, that you chose this quote because it is time for me to just go back and revisit the book. It's been a little bit since I looked at it. So um, so let me start with why is this the one that you said, this is the quote I want to, to guide the conversation on the show. Yeah, I think that, you know, she's a Boston legend for early childhood. So that's probably one of the reasons why we picked her. Um, I know, Kathy, we had her speak um, last year at something for, our, you know, our job. But she, I mean, the points that she makes are just so, you know, on target when you think about it. And not to mention, she has an awfully cute son, too. So we, we took right. that into consideration. For those of you who don't right. know, Nancy's son is Matt Damon. <laughs> right. The, the Matt Damon. The Matt Damon. Yeah. Yeah. And she just tells it like it is. And, mm -hmm. and she's she's always been one of the pillars that we hold. Um, we use a lot of um, information from DEY, Defending the Early uh -huh. Years, which Nancy is a huge um, part of. Uh -huh. And I'm sure your listeners know what that is, but it's DEY.org. And there's some great videos and resources and position statements and things like that, that we, our compass points the same way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Lots of good um, research. I mean, it's research based too, research, right? They absolutely. can, they can, they can give you the rationale for everything they have on their site, um, which I appreciate. So, so just in case there's someone out there who doesn't know what we're talking about when we say academic pushdown, um, let's start there. What does that mean for people in early childhood? Well, yeah, it means yeah. kindergarten is not the new first grade, uh, yeah. nor should it be the new first grade. Yeah. Kindergarten should be kindergarten kindergarten should have blocks and dramatic play areas that are not only open on Fridays for the five kids that behave that week. Oh, um, you know, <laughs> kindergarten is not the new first grade and four-year-olds yeah. should be four and three-year-olds yeah. should be three and we shouldn't be preparing them for kindergarten. We should really prepare them, you know, for other things like getting along and buttoning <laughs> their zipper and, you know, buttoning their can you button a zipper? Zipping their <laughs> pants, you know, putting their own boots on, that kind uh -huh. of thing. Wiping yeah. their butts. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, you know, we, we like to think of it too as if you look at your life as um, a ruler, you know, one and two inches of that ruler are basically your childhood. Why are we pushing kids to, you know, move down that ruler so quickly? You know, we want to, we want to have, you know, childhood be joyful and, you know, celebrate it instead of just keep putting so much anxiety and stress on young kids, you know, to make, you know, paper plate turkeys or whatever the heck we have them making instead of, you know, exploring the mediums and, and having a good time. And like I said, being joyful, you know, right. that's what childhood should be. Right. And yeah. wondering, is it really relevant that this three-year-old knows anything about turkeys right now? Like even, <laughs> even if that turkey activity was teaching them about turkeys, how is that relevant to their lives at this point? Unless yeah, they you know like what, Heather, I, I see turkeys walking down my street on a regular basis and, you know, <laughs> keeping my neighbors trapped in their car and things like that. <laughs> The real turkeys look nothing like your traced handprint or Absolutely. a paper plate. So yeah. that's all, all that kind of cutesy teacher stuff. We, we say, you know, if you think, oh, that's cute, it's probably not appropriate for young children. Absolutely. It's probably better for second graders, you know, yes. kids who understand that representational kind of thought with art. Yeah. So. 
And we also think like, when you think about something like calendar, I, I always think like what three, four or five-year-olds are making doctor's appointments or, you know, <laughs> you know, writing, writing checks. checks or anything, you know, are they paying bills that they need to know what the date is? I don't think so. Like, why do they need to know the date? Like they need to know that it's sunny out. They need to know that, you know, they have to wear a jacket today, not, you know, the actual date. It's just all kind of. Yeah. And you know, we keep saying three and four-year-olds, but it's two-year-olds. Oh, I mean, yeah. getting this too. And um, so if we're talking about people who, who say kindergarten's the new first grade, um, well, for crying out loud, being a toddler is the new four-year-old then. I mean, I just, it, mm-hmm. every, every inch we give, they take, you know, they take that proverbial mile with uh, moving it further and further down to younger and younger ages. And, and two somehow seems like a magic number. Like now they're two so they can learn things and they can start to do group we've things seen we've seen sadly um, two-year-olds with worksheets mm-hmm. and the educator actually holding the child's hand with the pencil in it trying to get them to trace things or draw the lines or do whatever they're supposed yeah. to do yeah. and they think it's math and it's yeah. like no no it's not and it's not yeah. fine their hands yeah. aren't developed yet they can't do that yet you know Wait, there's a reason you have to hold their hand <laughs> to do that <laughs> there you go yeah so so why why do you think it's so rampant that teachers are, are early childhood practitioners are engaging in those kinds of daily practices or having those kinds of expectations for children? You know, Heather, it's funny because we, we hear um, early childhood teachers all the time say, but the school system wants them to have this before they go to kindergarten. You know, this city or town says they need to know this, this, and this. And, you know, we, Kathy actually set up a panel and we had a panel where there were kindergarten teachers and first grade teachers on it. And you know, we had a whole room full of early childhood professionals. And we said, can you tell them what you expect you know, children to come to school with in kindergarten, first grade. And it was amazing because, you know, of course they said social skills, emotional skills. And then, you know, one of them said, I don't care if a child can read Harry Potter at five. I want them to be able to zip their zipper when they come out of the bathroom, because I have 20 something kids, no help. And that's more important right now than that fact that they can read Harry Potter um, for us to be, have a successful day. And it was really nice for the early childhood professionals to hear that. So it wasn't a superintendent saying, you know, here's a list of all the things we want kids to know before they come to kindergarten, or here's a test. Let's give them to see if they're ready for kindergarten. It was more teachers saying, no, once they get here, I'll teach them what they need to know. You know, the, the letters will come, you know, they'll learn how to read eventually, like they're just not ready yet. And so that was eye-opening and also really good for the teachers to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Here in, here in Indiana, we have, and I think most states now have their early learning standards that are supposed to align with those school standards. And in Indiana, we have the early learning foundations, which are pretty good as a, as a document um, compared to some other uh, early learning standards I've seen, but um, they're very clear, like in the last column, it, their columns, you know, by skill level or whatever. And it's um, young infant, older infant, young preschool, young toddler, older toddler, young preschool, older preschool, and then kindergarten. And in the very last um, column are things that according to written standards that anyone can access on the internet said should be happening at the end of kindergarten. But yeah. what, what I see in that, that should be happening at, by the end of kindergarten are what I see preschool teachers and toddler teachers even sometimes trying to do like, if we just introduce them to it earlier, we can speed this whole thing up. And that's not how children develop. And it's not how, what's important to them at those ages. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think that a lot of, um, you know, your question about that 
is the way we set things up in this country, particularly, mm -hmm. you know, no child left behind. And we say behind who or behind what? Like nobody's <laughs> behind. Yeah, We're in the middle of great. a freaking pandemic. Nobody's behind. They're fine. Let, let them just, you know, get through the day yeah. or, you know, race to the top. That was one of our big grants race to the top of what? Mm -hmm. Those are the messages we're sending to our educators. Yep. And I think that in the early childhood field, at least here in the Northeast, I'm sure it's nationally, we see this, but the early childhood community is not as professional in the eyes of everybody else right. as the public school teachers are. So I think we think, oh, we should do what they do to be more professionalized yeah. and you know, to, to be equal with them and to let them know we do a good job with kids. And it takes a lot of confidence and a lot of you know, rethinking of, of the way you think to recognize that what yes. I'm doing with these kids at two and three and four in, in infancy mm -hmm. makes a difference when they get there and they'll be ready when they're ready, not, not when we think they should be ready. Yeah. And I, so I've been in the field for about 30 years and um, listeners will have heard a lot of this hey, already anyway. Great, Heather. Oh, thank I you. you. I'm also kid. 50. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, uh, now you've thrown me all off. Oh, I used oh, to I'm think sorry. that, no, I used to think that the way to get people to think about me as a professional is to make it look like I'm teaching. And that's exactly. really what I focused on. And, um, I've, I finally reached a point where I was like, I don't have to essentially pretend play teaching yep. if I can talk about my rationale for what I do in my, in my classroom. And if I can say every decision I've made is based on, you know, something that I can, that I can articulate that sound. And I feel so much more professional myself since I've made mm -hmm. that switch. And um, uh, it's hard to do, but it's, it's, it's our responsibility to do no harm, right? That, Absolutely. And we, we talk a lot is. about making learning visible. So, you know, documenting things, showing a picture, saying what the child was learning while they were playing with something. Yeah. I think that validates too, because it just says, you know, look, I know what I'm doing. We are playing, but look at all the skills, you know, we're in all the, the, you know, milestones we're hitting while we're playing. And I think that that's an important message also for families, as well as administrators. And we, we, we also recognize that sometimes, you know, administrators come from, you know, a, an elementary background or a middle school or a high school background. So they really don't understand early childhood. And rather than being very teacher directed in the early years, we know you need to be a facilitator more than, you know, like you said, doing that whole teacher talk and, you know, everyone pay attention and everyone quiet. Children aren't meant to be quiet. You know, can you imagine telling a puppy to sit somewhere for, you know, nope, you sit, sit for three hours. You know, you can't do that to a puppy. You can't expect or an adult either. Yeah. So I yeah. wanted to jump back to kindergarten readiness for a minute because that came up in each of your um, answers uh, since we've been recording. Um, you know, I've, I think I've finally decided it's not kindergarten readiness even. We call it that, but all we're thinking about is that screening that they do. So we're spending their first five years completely making ourselves and them crazy, trying to get them to get through a screening that some school systems might, yep. might hold as, you know, sort of a gatekeeper to whether you get into kindergarten or not. And that makes it makes even less sense to me now, if I think about it in terms of that, you know, all, all we're really trying to train them for is a screening that, that they might get in their school to get into kindergarten. 
Yeah. Mind mm-hmm. you, that screening is going to be probably at a big school they've never been to uh-huh. with people that they've never met before, you know, and it's an echoey, usually, you know, in the auditorium or the gym uh-huh. or something, or, you know, it's a strange person's office. And how uncomfortable is that? Talk about, you know, putting pressure on anxiety on a kid. Yeah, that, that's huge. We, and, you know, you know, we see so many children nowadays with anxiety and stress levels out the roof and it's just, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I said, it needs to be a joyful time, not a stressful time. They have plenty of time for stress. Right. We know that. Right. But you we'll know? just train our elementary school teachers how to handle trauma and that'll be okay. We don't need to look at how we're how we're <laughs> contributing to trauma in the first five years, as long as we have yep. posters on the wall and um, you know, you teachers it. who can throw it on the curriculum every now and it's again. So true. You know, I think that one of the ways that's easier to think about this kind of pressure and push down is taking it in the reverse direction. So if you have a brand new infant, you're not going to tell it it needs to be potty trained. You know, if you have a a two-year-old, you're not going to make it ride a two-wheel bicycle or Mm -hmm. know how, or you wouldn't let your 10-year-old drive your car. But (laughs) but we push this other stuff and it's usually reading and writing kinds of things or behavioral, you know, Mm -hmm. norms or expectations. And when you look at it from that lens, it's kind of funny. You know, if a parent came to you and said, I want my new baby toilet train, these diapers are so expensive. And you know, what the heck are we waiting for here? We would all say, no, it's physically not okay to do that. You know, it's emotionally not okay to do that, but we do it with the darn pencils and you got to trace your name and, you know, read, read, read. And what's Mm -hmm. this word? And, you know, it's, it's really too much pressure and it's mm-hmm. coming at them for the wrong reasons. And I, yeah. I do think the early childhood community and, and program directors and owners are in a tough position because parents, you know, pay a fee for their child to get this high quality early education and parents don't always know what high quality looks yeah. like. They, they, you know, like the they've stuff been that sold in their backpack. <laughs> they've, exactly. they've been sold a bill of goods that they've come to expect. Exactly. Um, through commercials and toys and yep. parent mommy groups online and things like that. So, yep. um, yeah, that was going to be one of my next questions was, so, you know, what do you say to, to the parents who say, nope, this is what I, we really expect to see. I say when someone has a baby, give them the book, the importance of being little. Yes. I mean, that's just such a nice book to or read. Or culture of childhood. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You know, um, but yeah, the parents, it's hard, but that's why we talk so much to our teachers about, you know, making learning visible and why they're learning what they're learning and, you know, why it's important to document things. Uh-huh. Um, you know, cause if you ask a, a teacher, you know, why are you letting them play in the mud? They'll tell you why, but you need to explain that to the parents mm-hmm. so that the parents know, I think that's an important piece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we always say, you know, send home articles to parents and sometimes teachers will say, oh, they'll just throw them away. And we say, that's okay. They'll throw them away, but they know, you know, what you're talking about, giving them important research-based information, you know? So I think that's a big key is, you know, I think early childhood teachers need to step up and say, I'm a professional too, you know, and they need to show that. And, you know, I think that's an important piece to, to, you know, recognizing the importance of early childhood. Which they need to believe themselves to be able to do that. And I think that's another element that becomes a problem. Um, So I'm also a community college teacher and getting ready to be a program chair. Yay. Um, (laughs) um, But I, I, and, and I was a student, you know, I went back to school in my forties and, and started pretty much all over. Um, And I've seen that a a lot of the teacher prep programs are focusing really on three to five-year-olds from nine to 11 in the morning and um, may give lip service to 
whole child development and, Mm -hmm. and developmentally appropriate practices. But what, what I've seen fits more with the academic pushdown, it seems like sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that everybody feels that pressure. We, our day jobs are in a community college Mm -hmm. and we also teach at the local university. So we see the students coming in. We mostly work with adult learners. So Mm -hmm. the people who are working in the field coming in, we don't typically have the 19 year olds coming from high school. Um, So we have the adults coming in and it's, it's really hard for them to make that shift. And I think it speaks to what you said earlier, Heather, you feel like you need to be a teacher. Yeah. And that means you need to be the one up there doing that stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure it was Lisa Murphy who said, you know, teachers need to be facilitators, not instigators. Yes. And that I sounds love like that. Lisa. <laughs> yeah, I, I love her. Lisa Hood. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that makes a whole lot of sense to yeah. think about it that way. Your job is not to just shove a bunch of information into a little brain that they're not ready for yet. It's about helping them open up their minds and their brains and and their hands and their fingers to be able to really explore the medium. But um, luckily at our school, we are um, NACI accredited for higher ed and really focus on best practice. But Mm -hmm. even within that, you know, everybody has their own idea of what that might look like a little bit. And um, sometimes we have to reboot and re-energize and and think a little bit harder about it. So mm-hmm. yeah. And also too, Kathy often mentions, you know, when we look at students, um, you know, their schedules and Kathy always says, if it says learning time, you know, get that out of there you know, <laughs> because all day you're learning, Absolutely. you know, I, I mean, Kathy can speak to that, but it's so true. Many times you look at people's schedules and it says, you know, free time, learning time. And you're just like, what? No, yeah. it even day. says academics. And then yeah. I just want to yeah. puke and say, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're in a family childcare home. These, these kids don't need academics. <laughs> is that pressure, that teacher yes. pressure? Exactly. Um, it really is. And I think a lot of what you talked about a minute ago brings up the the age-old dilemma of compensation you know how do you feel and act like a professional and believe that you're a professional if you get paid you know a wage where you need a second job or a third job I mean this is our second job so it never ends but um you know our field is sorely underpaid and undervalued out in the real world Kathy will you share your joke joke? (laughs) why did the preschool teacher cross the road I don't know to get to her second job. <laughs> <laughs> no one so. tells jokes like that anymore with the setup oh, and the punchline. Awesome. <laughs> Great. That'll be a whole other episode. We'll just do, we'll just do yeah. Kathy jokes. Exactly. Um, so, so I want to ask now, um, we've sort of established why we don't like the push down. So let's talk now about what people can do if they feel stuck in that, you know, how do they, how do they move out of it now? If we've convinced them, that, mm-hmm. that this isn't how it should be. What do we say next? That's a really tough question. I know. Heather, um, <laughs> because we, we do a lot of training and we see a lot of educators who, who come back thirsty and hungry and they drink the pushy dames punch and they're ready to roll. And then they say, oh, you know, my co-teacher won't go along with this. Yeah. Or my director said the parents want this or we can't do it that way. But sometimes we have these wonderful epiphanies uh-huh. in fact somebody last night said my director had an epiphany and Leanne and I were just like oh awesome yeah. um, <laughs> the yeah. director epi- the elusive director epiphany <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and 
I don't know if there's a right answer to that question, but I think we have to come at it from every angle. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to come at it from, the, you know, a federal government perspective and a national perspective that we're not racing to the top of anything right now. We're trying to help kids be able to learn and be okay and, and be comfortable in, in their skin. And we need to come at it that we really highly educate uh, public school administrators because I, I don't know the data but I know it's a very small percentage of superintendents and principals that have early childhood education experience. It's yeah. a very small percentage. So I think we need to flip that, that uh, data point a little bit and, and build leaders in the public school system. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to empower directors to make good decisions and, and not decisions that they worry about. That parent might be mad at me if they don't get a leprechaun man to hang on their fridge, you know? <laughs> um, to really be able to speak the early childhood Bible. And then finally, I think we really need to market to parents. And I think the parents, they're, they're the, you know, the purchasers of this service and, and our workforce. I think we really need to get them to say, no, 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 I don't want this stuff. I want my child to do this stuff. I think we need to, I think we really need to combat it from a whole bunch of different lenses. Yeah, yeah so. I thought for a long time that the, the families are the, the biggest place we can have an influence right now. If we can mm -hmm. change what they're shopping for, then yep. that will have a broad ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. And moving forward too, with all the changes with funding that's coming down the line, yeah. I really, really, really hope that they have the right people in place making decisions and, you know, making suggestions um, as to what happens when the funding does come down the line and it's mm -hmm. not academic, you know, based, you know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I think people are very nervous about that right now. I think family child care especially is very nervous about that. We just did an episode a few days ago um, about universal pre-K essentially. And the that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.